From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. I'm Jonathan Moriarty. Joining me this week are my co-hosts Emily Finnerty. Hello. And Steve Tassie. Hi there. This week we're going to talk about something that an awful lot of gamers, including myself all too often, take for granted, accessibility challenges. The word accessibility, when we use it with regard to a board game, usually has to do with how complicated the rules are. But in this case, we're going to be talking about uh, challenges like uh, impaired vision, impaired hearing, this sort of thing, and how that uh, affects the way people play games, the games that I have access to, and also some ways to, uh, to improve that accessibility. Guys, do you have any, uh, any friends who have um, physical challenges? I do. Uh, one of my good friends is uh, hearing impaired. Uh, his hearing has been getting worse and worse over the years. Mm. Uh, he uses hearing aids, but uh, that's not always enough, uh, depending on the situation. He doesn't like to use them in loud environments. They, they become uncomfortable for him by amp yeah. amplifying everything. So um, it can be a challenge to, to play games with him, and, and I'm sure it's a challenge for him to be playing games. Do you often have him over to play games? Oh, uh, yeah, fair bit, yeah. Okay, well, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, ways that you uh, try and help to uh, make sure that accessibility is not a problem. How about you, Em? Uh, I don't have any close friends that um, have any specific needs like that, but I do have experience working in the deaf community. Mm. Um, so i not, again, not close friends, but I do know a lot of individuals who are deaf and hearing impaired, and it does provide an interesting sort of set of challenges, especially because you know, board games have recently been such a big hobby of mine and I've wanted to sort of, you know, bring it up in conversation and have them over and bring them to the cafe and such, but it's been sort of, I've had a hard time sort of trying to figure out how to navigate specifically their particular needs with, the, you know, general board games. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to be asking, uh, hopefully getting a little bit into um, ways that you've dealt with these challenges. So um, we, we, just, to, just a quick disclaimer, we're not going to be speaking about uh, mental challenges in this episode. That's, uh, that's, that's a large issue of its own, deserving of its own episode, and I'm going to need to do a lot more research before I feel ready uh, and comfortable to discuss that. In the meanwhile, though, let's start with uh, issues involving dexterity, somebody who um, has missing limbs or Parkinson's or something like this. Um, there are a fair number of games that, uh, that, that are still playable in that sort of state, but quite a few others that, uh, that become a bit of a problem. Some of the most popular ones at Snakes. I mean, what, what, uh, what are some games that you play a lot that would just not really be viable? Uh, Riff Raff. Jenga. Tough, tough games to play if you are uh, challenged from a, a physical standpoint, dexterity-wise, uh, whether it's a lack of control or as you say, a lack of limb issue. Mm. Those would both be very hard. Um, drawing games could be challenging, mm. although I, many people who have uh, those sorts of challenges have found ways around that and are capable of writing. So um, depending on the individual, they may have already found their own way around it. So things like uh, holding a hand of cards, I imagine, could also be an issue. Card holders to the rescue. Exactly. They've, uh, card holder technology is getting better. At least, uh, yeah, also games that involve, you know, requiring movement at a certain speed doesn't necessarily have to be movement that's particularly difficult, right. but stuff mm -hmm. that you have to do consistently and quickly. So like know, Pit, for example, yeah, where you're trading cards quickly. Or, you know, mm -hmm. even like dice rolling like Banana Macho or having to grab something first like Ghost Blitz. I mean, mm -hmm. whereas, you know, the act of grabbing something may not in itself be difficult for a particular individual, having to do so quickly might mm -hmm. be an issue. Yeah, arthritis 
Yeah, that can certainly be a challenge there as well. Yeah. So, um, is is there a, are these simply categories of games that you kind of have to avoid in uh, in these cases, or are there ways of bridging the gap and making them accessible to everyone? Uh, I I suspect that it's very hard for certain games to be accessible to everyone. Mm. Um, but you know, just like every movie isn't going to be enjoyable <laughs> to everyone. Uh, I don't think that we need to be concerned that every game be accessible to everyone as long as there is a sufficiently large selection of games that are going to be accessible yeah. to any particular um, Different challenge. kinds of games, too. Yeah, and, yeah, and different, different kinds. Yeah, well. the reality of it is there, there is a category of board games called dexterity games, and it's very difficult for you if you have poor fine motor skills or dexterity problems to play those games. Games like that require, you know, holding a hand of cards or dice rolling can be um, adapted to be made more accessible, like Steve was saying, you know, card holders or... Um, Getting you know, your friends to roll the dice exactly, for you. Exactly, or, you know, like those little poppers, like in Trouble right, and Sorry. The die from yeah, Trouble you just, to the you know, rescue. Yeah, you just smack it and it rolls the dice for you. Like, those are things <laughs> that can be, you know, changed fairly easily to make general games more accessible, but, you know, dexterity games proper, there might be... Um, you know, it might be very difficult to make those accessible to everybody. It's not necessarily a big problem anyway. I mean, there are plenty of games out there that all of us don't particularly care to play anyway. As long as we have a good variety, then, uh, like you were saying, Steve, that, uh, that's probably enough. Um, another point on, on just, you know, dexterity issues in games that require fine motor skills is something that people don't really consider is that your, your, your physical state and your fine motor skills are something that will, that are, will probably deteriorate with time. I mean, we all start mm. off young and spry, but, you know, as we get older, we, we, you know, we break things like fingers and wrists and we do get arthritis and stuff like that. And whereas, you know, a, like a, a visual impairment or, you know, hearing problems might be something, you know, less likely. It's, it's very likely that throughout your lifetime, if board gaming is an intense hobby of yours, that at one point you will find yourself having difficulty you know, rolling the tiny dice or moving the tiny meeples or, mm -hmm. you know, pulling out the Jenga block. So um, I think this especially is an issue that people should take into consideration because mm -hmm. it's a problem that m may very well affect you and a lot of people you know in the future, even though right now everybody you know is, you know, more or less okay with In so many things. cases, it's true, people feel like, you know, this doesn't affect me. You know, therefore, I don't have to worry about it, but it's... It, you're, it, it could someday. Absolutely. You should not take these things for granted. Yeah, it could tomorrow. I could, you know, slam my fingers in the car door on the way out, and tomorrow I'll have a really hard time playing Rick Rapp and Jenga. I have... Uh, I, I sometimes have nightmares about, uh, about getting a terrible eye injury and becoming blind. But uh, let's talk a little bit about that next. Visual impairment, obviously, is something that comes in a variety of different forms. Colorblindness is a big one. About one human male in 12 is at least partly colorblind. And uh, there are plenty of ways to help here as well. I mean, we've seen different versions of games that help there, right? Uh, Ticket to Ride uh, uses a great mechanic for that by having the symbols appear uh, on the color card so that if you see that diamond, you know that that's a particular color. Right, that's blue. You know, yeah. the, the green ones have a circle on them or something like yeah. that. So that uh, even if colors are relatively close together, you can always tell. The early editions of Ticket to Ride didn't have that. Mm. They used solid colors. But I did as, not know that. As they, actually, my copy of Ticket to Ride over there on the shelf is, uh, is not colorblind friendly. <laughs> but uh, it's not so I'm particularly proud of. But even so, it goes to show that uh, bit by bit, um, game manufacturers are sort of becoming aware of this and beginning to take it into consideration with uh, the ways they manufacture their games. Uh, in cases of more serious uh, vision impairment, 
things can get a bit more involved. Uh, what sort of games can you play with uh, with with blind people? How much are they? Uh, 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 how, 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 how seriously is your selection curtailed? Mm, that's uh, pretty heavily, I would say. I'm I'm having trouble coming up with games. A few examples, you know. That uh, I mean, it, certain games with the right amount of support will be playable. Like a game like Taboo, um, certainly the blind people can be the guessers, no right. problem. Uh, catchphrase or 25 words or less, time's up even, although time's up, you get into the, the physical charade aspect for the final round, so that one not so much. Um, but a blind person could still be the giver as long as another person is prepared to you know whisper what the clue they're trying to get people to guess and what the five words that they can't say are you know, have that provided in a, in a verbal format to the, to the blind person to, to use uh, in order to be able to participate on the other side of things. But I can't think of any games that just like right out of the box, no, um, no extra support would work. Well, uh, in, in some cases, it's uh, it's not. Uh, uh, it'd be, they may just have tunnel vision or mm. everything's well, that's blurry. Uh, in which case, things like large print cards. Yes. Uh, or uh, or large print rules can be a big help. But um, there's something else I really want to mention here. I want to plug this. Uh, there's a Kickstarter currently on. As the, this, this episode is airing on uh, the 8th of April, 2014, there are about two weeks left on a Kickstarter by a company called 64 Ounce Games called Board Games Now Blind Accessible. Yeah, you know those card sleeves that we use to, uh, those, those plastic little sleeves we put cards yeah, in to protect great, them from fear spills and stuff? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're creating those and stamping them with Braille. For games like Love Letter and so on, mm. so that uh, so so that these sorts of games can be played by everyone. Well, at least, uh, what a fantastic idea! It's uh, they've they've already hit their goal. Great, but there are more stretch goals to come. Sure, sure. I so, guess more games and that sort of thing. That absolutely. Going to approach. Yeah, so, I was I was taking a look at it earlier, and they had um yeah they've already you know made their their goal. I think it was seven and seven K or something. But so um, they, they smashed the, it. The so more over money, 11, yeah, the more money they make, the more games they're adding, like specific size cards for specific games, um, and also mention of you know um braille dice for dice rolling mm -hmm. games and stuff. <laughs> like cool. d d braille twenty sided dice. Yeah. The, uh, it's, it's really nice because they have rewards um, and, and back rewards for, for sighted as well as uh, visually impaired people. So it's, it's, it's really something to really kind of bring attention to the fact that this affects everyone. Mm -hmm. And this is something we can all benefit from. Yeah, and even just sleeves in general. Like, um, I was thinking about this earlier. Like, cards that get worn the more you play them, they do mm -hmm. become more difficult to distinguish, especially if they have tons of elements on it. I mean, think of some of the older copies of games you have or that we have at the cafe that get, you know, really, really warm just from having so many people paw at them. And even, you know, even people like, even someone like me who has, you know, who has, who does not, mm. who wouldn't identify as visually impaired even a little bit. Like sometimes I have to stare at them and squint for a hard second <laughs> yeah, to try to figure out what it are. Components at the cafe do get worn out to the point of unusability. They just you cannot make out what is on them. Yeah, so, so just you know, keeping your game good in, for everyone. <laughs> yeah, so keeping your game in good condition, good condition can help people, for the most part. You know, because the more blurry and worn things get, even if you have a little bit of a vision problem, it can be difficult for you to distinguish things. Well, that, could, that should be some help. Thanks. We both mentioned uh, your, uh, your your friendship or involvement with uh, the hearing impaired. What are some steps that you can take here? Well, um, my friend, uh, hi Andy, in case you're listening, uh, he reads lips. 
Uh, that's a skill that he learned uh, very early on because he's known about his hearing problems for a very long time. And so he took steps proactively to, um, to help himself accommodate. So he, he speaks sign language, he reads lips, um, and he learned all that stuff before they were actually needed. So good is, for him. Is that common? Uh, I have no idea. Um, I have no idea. Hmm, interesting. I would li like to... Uh, those of you in the audience, please uh, do get involved if you can, or if you're interested, in, uh, on social media, on Facebook, on the, uh, the, the, the message boards on boardgamegeek.com or bgg.cc. We'd love to hear from you about this. Sorry, please go on. Uh, so when addressing him, looking right at him and speaking clearly uh, is a huge help mm. for him. Um, trying to control the amount of noise and sort of table chatter when he's at a table playing a game is, is also good. Right. I mean, he's, he's probably, he, he doesn't come to the cafe much. He's been in a few times to, to play games, but it's not the optimal environment for him. Uh, having a quieter area with no background noise helps him. Uh, and I imagine would help a lot of people who are hearing impaired, you know, play in the right environment for those people. Sure. How about you, Emily? Um, one thing that's important to remember is even though a lot of, you know, most members of the deaf community do use ASL, it's not exactly, it can't really be a replacement for games that require spoken language. I mean, mm -hmm. you think of games that, you, that even that just require a lot of talking. I mean, it's very, like, much like... Steve was saying about Andy, like when you talk to him, you look at him straight in the eyes and you, you know, articulate clearly and loudly. Um, the same is to be said of ASL and other sign languages. You can't just, you know, have a table of people playing resistance all signing <laughs> one another because mm -hmm. that's that not how it works. Is really gonna... it's, it, it, it there's, doesn't There's only work. so many people you can look at at once. One, to, to... one person, literally yeah. one person is incredibly difficult. Even just as sort of like a bystander watching two people have a conversation, it's incredibly mm -hmm. difficult to understand mm -hmm. what's going on because... So much of it is with, you know, the eye contact and the connection between two people. Yeah. So much um, you have to process. Exactly. And then even, um, like, we've had to, we have, you know, people who are deaf come into the cafe and play board games all the time. But um, a lot of the time they're there and they, they spend a very long time reading rule books to understand. And they never, mm. they, they play games, they can get, like, incredibly, they play incredibly complex games because they like them. But it takes, you know, it takes them the, the time to read the rules. So if, if mm -hmm. you're in a position where you you're not, don't have a lot of experience with rule books... Or, um, you know, it can be very difficult for people who are, you know, hearing impaired to learn board games because, you know, not everybody has the ability to teach games in ASL. And if they do, there are a lot of sort of like abstract board game specific concepts that I don't know how well they would translate <laughs> into a sign language. Yeah. Sounds like in a lot of cases, just basic patience and consideration can go a pretty long way. Too. Absolutely. I, I have taught several games to uh, deaf and hearing impaired customers at the cafe, and it just takes longer. Uh, you need you need a little more patience. You need to be much clearer in what you're saying. You can't kind of bounce around in a sentence, and uh, you have to you have to be clear, uh, and you have to be slower, uh, just so that they have the time to properly assimilate the information. I do a lot more checking for comprehension, just to make sure that um, that we're not going over, because it's harder for them to signal to me that they have a question or that there's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that they've missed a point. Um, so just, yeah, patience is a, is a huge aspect, I think. Also just, you know, interest in wanting to play the board game is really important. I mean, mm. 
somebody who, you know, regardless of their whatever accessibility issues they have, if they're visually impaired or if they have, you know, fine motor skill issues, if they're being dragged along to play a board game or play any board any board game or just board games in general, they're not particularly interested in being there, <laughs> then they're not, it, it might be more difficult for them to put themselves in a position where they can, you know, accept any sort of, like, support or any changes to make it accessible. I mean, if you're, just like it takes a little bit more patience and, you know, support to help them, it takes also, you know, you know, from within to help out. So, you know, commitment to the hobby is sure. like if you're committed to the hobby, hobby, you can do anything, really. If I could quickly speak to that, I met a gentleman uh, many, many years ago at Gen Con uh, who is completely blind uh, and was playing in a world championship tournament of the Legend of the Five Rings uh, collectible card game. He had learned Whoa. and memorized the the textual content and the and the visual symbol, uh, you know, he, he learned all the material all that the was icons, on the cards. The, wow. He learned what That's every incredible. single card did, memorized it to a T. All he needed was someone uh, to tell him what was in his hand, uh, and to have his opponent literally tell him every card that he was playing. And just visualize the whole and thing. And he would visualize it. the whole thing in his mind. Um, and and he did well. He didn't win. He didn't win the tournament, but he did very well. He did far better than many of the sighted players did. So yeah, commitment to the hobby goes a long, long way. For sure. Certainly not everyone who has accessibility issues is going to have that level of drive and commitment, um, but uh, he wow. sure did. <laughs> That's quite a story. Uh, anything else you guys would like to add before we sign off? Nope. All right. Well, we hope that this episode has led you to think about a few things that you might previously have taken for granted. Uh, do check out that Kickstarter. It's 64-ounce games. The project is called Board Games Now Blind Accessible. Thanks for listening. I'm Jonathan Moriarty with Steve Tassie and Emily Finnerty. Game on. Game on. And thanks for listening. We'll have a new Snakes cast for you every week at snakesandlattes.com. In the meantime, you can follow us through your favorite social networking sites, such as Facebook and Twitter, or best of all, meet our gurus in person at Snakes and Lattes in Toronto. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.